Thank you so much for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. I'm Jamar Andrews. I'm the lead pastor, and I get the great privilege of shepherding here. I'm excited that you're joining us today for this sermon. You're about to receive text-driven preaching. My prayer is that God speaks to you through this time as you listen to this message. So enjoy, and God bless. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9 is where we will spend our time together uh, this morning as we continue our series uh, entitled Church on the Move. And uh, we have been working our way through the book of Acts, uh, highlighting uh, the specific works of the Lord uh, in the life of the apostles and uh, the, the early church. And uh, through this journey, we have been able to see how God has been faithful in the past uh, with a hope and a promise that God will be faithful in the future, as well as in our current uh, struggles and situations where we find ourselves. And so I hope that uh, you have come ready uh, because I believe we have a great uh, time ahead of us uh, as we continue uh, to be changed and transformed uh, by the word of God. Uh, you see, the book of Acts uh, has been laid out for us, I believe, for God to give us a history to know our roots, to know our foundation, to know uh, where we come from. And in this particular book, we have been able to see the Lord's working that uh, in his life, death, burial and resurrection, that Jesus Christ was not finished with the work, uh, that he had uh, called out the disciples, empower them by the spirit. And uh, now we are seeing uh, our Lord who had ascended uh, working in the lives of his disciples in the early church uh, over a period of just a little over 30 years. Uh, the book of Acts covers. And there are a whole lot of things that happen to see how God was faithful then. And I believe how he'll be faithful uh, even now. We've seen uh, the Lord uh, save many lives. The Apostle Peter, who will be focusing in on his life today, uh, we see in that very first message on the day of Pentecost, uh, 3000 uh, people were saved. We saw uh, as uh, they were working and still worshiping in the temple, a man who was lame uh, over 40 years uh, was healed opened up an opportunity to share the good news. 5,000 people saved. And uh, we, we have seen uh, time after time God's faithfulness. Uh, we've seen him do some great things, uh, but we've also seen the challenges that the church faced. That whenever God works, there are many opportunities that he gives us, but there are also obstacles that come along with being serious about the Lord. And so we've seen uh, floggings, beatings, imprisonment. Uh, we've seen death, even Stephen. Uh, but we've also watched as the message of the gospel has moved uh, steadily and faithfully. Uh, we were introduced to uh, a man from Ethiopia who uh, gave his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we saw just how excited he was whenever that happened. We also saw how the Lord took the number one uh, terrorist or individual who could not stand the church, Saul, and we saw that he uh, radically changed his life there when he met him on the Damascus Road. And so we have seen uh, many moments of God's power and strength, and today will be no different. Uh, there is a shift that happens in the book, and uh, we are brought back into seeing the life of the Apostle Peter. Uh, and so for the next three chapters, we're going to see the Apostle Peter and how God is wanting to work in and through his life. Now, today, uh, we will see some very key things, I believe, from his life. And so the main points that we have to look at today are put in a way in which they are, are challenging us to look at Peter's life and to ask ourselves serious or sober questions about the dynamics of our relationship with the Lord. You see, the title of today's message uh, is Keys to Effective Ministry. I believe that we're going to see Four specific keys. Now, there'll be some sub points in those four. I couldn't just put all of that in the handout, but they're going to be some key things that you're going to see uh, as we go through this particular uh, passage in the Apostle Peter's life. Uh, but, you know, when I think about this idea of having an effective ministry, you know, sometimes I believe it's if, if we're not careful, uh, we can think that only pastors or missionaries or people that are the official individuals actually have a ministry. But can I tell you, that is not true, that God, whenever he saved you, whenever he changed your life, he entrusted to you good works that he desires to see you do. He desires to see you. He has set specifically for you to be about, 
Not me. Now, I might be a part of that, come alongside you, encourage you, cheer you on, help you, support you. But there's specific things that I believe he desires for each and every one of us to be about. And today, y'all want amen. Today, we are going to see, I believe, the, the key components. If we will allow our lives to settle in, follow this model, I believe we'll see God do some great things. And so let me just give those to you on the front end, and then we will look at our passage. First, I believe that to have an effective ministry, effective service to the Lord, uh, we have to be wholeheartedly active in ministry, meaning we, we have to serve the Lord with our whole heart. Now, we're going to talk more about that, but we have to be active uh, in service. Secondly, we have to be faithful to draw attention to Jesus. We have to make sure that uh, our lives are lived in such a way that uh, Jesus is the one who gets the credit for the way in which we live. The third thing, we have to be available to help in time of need. You know, we want to be available. We want to make sure our lives and that God can, can call on us to be available uh, to be able to help. And then the last thing we want to see is that we have to be aware of any partiality that might be present in our own life. Uh, the way, a way of thinking about people or about situations or circumstances or places that can be detrimental uh, to the work that God is ultimately desiring to do. Now, we will pick up uh, in the book of Acts in chapter nine. And if you remember, uh, Saul, uh, who was the chief persecutor causing much problems in the church, had been converted. And uh, not only had he been converted, changed, but God was using his life greatly. And the Bible tells us about the fact that he was preaching and teaching and that because of this change, because God took one of the main enemies of the church and he made him now a friend, a chief proponent of the church, that the church was experiencing a great peace. The church was being built up and uh, going out in the fear of the Lord and uh, being comforted in the Holy Spirit. And it was increasing. And so that's the backdrop to what we will see uh, as we pick up in Acts chapter nine, starting in verse 32. It says uh, Acts 9:32. Now, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. Immediately he got up. And all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha which translated in Greek uh, is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and he went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. I hope you have come ready because the first thing we're going to see from Peter's life uh, is the wholehearted active ministry role uh, that he is playing. The Bible tells us in our first movement, verse 32 and 33, that Peter in his ministry, it says he was traveling through 
those regions. And now if you want to know the regions, you have to look back to verse 31 in this same chapter, uh, the regions of Judea, Galilee, Samaria. And so if you remember, God was doing a great work in those areas. And so Peter uh, was now traveling through and encouraging and uh, making uh, some very intentional relationships with those who were in that area. Now, can I tell you, this uh, surprises me. Because when I think about the life of Peter, it would have been very easy for him to just stay in Jerusalem and sit around and begin to live off of the fame and accolades of ministry that he had already experienced. I don't know about you, but if you preach one sermon, your first sermon and 3000 people are saved, you probably going to be pretty famous. I don't know about you. Then the next time you get a chance to preach. And you preach and 5,000 people are saved, you, you probably will be pr- pretty famous. Or, or if you get an opportunity to experience what he experienced in being flogged and beaten, being imprisoned, but then get, get led out by an angel, you, you probably will be pretty famous. I don't know about you. And I just think about this, that, you know, he could have stayed in Jerusalem and got a great book deal, started signing books, writing how, how I got let out how I healed a man, how I preached and 8,000 were saved. And he could have just had all these conferences going on in Jerusalem and been very famous. But that's not what he did. The Bible says that he, he was traveling. He was traveling. And he was going into these areas, and uh, he, he, was, he was connecting with the saints. Now, I think that's important for us because if we're not careful, we can forget about the fact that God desires for us to be busy in the kingdom work. We can be distracted by all the other things, all the the things of our past, all the successes, all the things that have happened, and we can just live in the past and not recognize that God has a great future, but understand he also wants to work in our lives right now. And the question for us, I just, when I look at this, he was wholeheartedly, he was committed to this thing. He was committed to the work. So can I just ask you a quick question? Are you wholeheartedly committed to the kingdom work? Because if we're not careful, understand what I'm telling you, that there are good things that can come along in our lives and they can distract us from what God is desiring. Can I I tell you, we have to always wrestle with the difference between good and great. There are a lot of good things that come, but we have to ask ourselves, are these the great things that God has for us? And as we think through this, we just see, I see in his life, I see in Peter's life where he had the opportunity to just stay in Jerusalem and stay back. You know, all those great things happening. But that's not what he did. He was serving. He was coming. He was moving. And the Lord was opening up opportunities for him to continue to serve and to continue to see lives changed and transformed. The first opportunity that we are introduced to here in the text is that there was a man named Aeneas and he was in this place called Lida. Now, some of some people say Lida. Lida. So so in this region, uh, it's still there today. As a matter of fact, if you want to travel to Israel, the, the airport is in this area. <laughs> and so we see that he he comes in and he meets this man named Aeneas. And in, in verses 32 and 33, it tells us some information about Aeneas. He says that uh, he had been bedridden for eight years. Everyone see that he had been paralyzed for for eight years. Now, it's an interesting construction here because in verse 33, there's nothing here that leads us to believe that Aeneas was a believer, a Christian. Because many times whenever the Bible speaks about believers, it'll say something of the sort like there was a disciple, like when we saw Ananias, there was a disciple in Damascus. Or there was a, normally there's going to give us, he's going to give us a a tip us off that there's a believer. So we don't necessarily see that that Aeneas was a believer. But also, whenever you read the Bible, you're not going to find in the New Testament where a a believer was healed of of any particular thing. We see where Lazarus raised from the dead. We see those types of things. But in terms of a struggle or or a difficulty, most of the time these things are happening toward unbelievers to see them used by God to become believers, to be able to be changed and transformed. And so now we we are introduced to one of the major players here that God is getting ready to use and change his life significantly. Now, this road is very important. The journey, let me just give you the journey. Uh, This area of of Lida is on a a very significant road that that runs from Egypt uh, to that runs from Egypt to Syria. But also it's going to also have some connection between Joppa. And we're going to talk about why that's important here in just a second. 
But the thing I love about this is that Peter's life, he is going down these normally travel roads, these roads that are traveled, and he's bringing the power and the presence of God with him as he travels. And so I just want to make a quick assessment here that as he is traveling, I believe he is communicating to us that in the lanes of life, the way in which we live, the places that we go, we should also seek to bring God's power and presence to the people that we come in contact with, that we want to look to make connections. And so we see that he meets a man named Aeneas. Now, the work that's getting ready to happen is phenomenal. And can I just tell you, it's very brief. The Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about what happens to Aeneas. After this, the way in which things go, it's just pretty matter of fact. But can I just tell you, I believe that in our day, the things that will keep us from being wholehearted like Peter are these things. Let me just give you some negatives here. Number one, uh, when we get distracted, we've already talked about that. We get distracted. It could be by good things. It could be by things that are negative. Number two, uh, we can get discouraged. You know, sometimes in this life, uh, it's not necessarily the distractions that get us, but it could be the discouragement. And those discouragements can come in many fashions. Maybe it's relational, relationally you're discouraged. Uh, maybe you don't feel like God has a plan for you. Maybe you're confused. You don't know what to do next. Maybe you made mistakes and you get down, you get discouraged. Those things can keep you from wholeheartedly, actively being involved in what God is doing. There could be some division where, where there's struggle relationally that happens that, that causes discouragement. But can I just tell you later on in Peter's life, I believe he writes something to us that I believe that, that, that takes this moment and I believe puts it in a way in which I believe we should all think about our lives before the Lord. And it's found in 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 7 through 11 together. 1 Peter 4, 7 says this. The end of all things is near. Everybody see that? Now, can I just tell you, if the end of all things was near whenever he wrote this and said this, what y'all think going on right now? Can somebody please help me up in here? If, if he knew that Jesus in his coming, in his victorious work on the cross and the empty tomb is the catalyst for the, the end of all things, I'm just telling you, we, 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 we are a lot closer now than they were then. But catch this now. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. Why? For the purpose of prayer. We're going to see that here in a minute. For the purpose of talking to God. Above all, keep, keep fervent. Notice this in your what? Love. This is how we stay active. I'm giving you the, the, the practical piece. Number one, we got to be we got to recognize what's going on. We, we are on a time crunch. There is a deadline. The project has a deadline. I know we all procrastinators. How many procrastinators we got in here? I see those hands. How many incubators we got in here? Y'all want to know the difference? An incubator waits, 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 but gets it done. Procrastinator said, would you look at that? I done missed it. Now I got to work back in. Can you give me some grace? Give me some credit. So we got to think time-wise what's in front of us. But then also catching our fervent in love for one another. Why? Because love calls a multitude of sins. Now catch it now. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Yeah, that's Bible right there. I didn't write this. As each one has received a special gift, employed in serving one another as God's stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things, who? God may be glorified. Y'all see that? Not, not the speaker, not the server, not, not, not the one who, who everybody sees, but so that God might be glorified through. So that God might be glorified through all of that. How about that? <laughs> so that God will be glorified. That's ultimately the purpose for why we do what we do. You see, can I ask you a question? Are you wholeheartedly active in ministry, in serving the Lord? You see, what I know is, is that we're going to all have our own lean and our own gift set and our own ability. But my, my question is, is, have you employed those for the king and for the kingdom? Or are we distracted? Are we discouraged? Are we divided? See, the Bible says about Jesus 
In Mark 10, 45, it's not going to come on the screen, but you can jot it down. It says it's for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. You see, if it was good enough for the Lord, I believe it's good enough for us. And when we think about our role, we think about our lives. Let me just put it to you like this. I'm convinced that the only thing that we'll be able to take with us to heaven are relationships. People. That's it. So when we think about that, think, think about that for a minute. How much of your life and my life do we spend on things, on, on opportunities, on places that are not going to be with us in eternity? I'm not saying that there are not things that are not important in this world that's not going to heaven. I'm just telling you they are not the most important. And so what we have to begin to ask ourselves is, is am I using my life? to invest in, in, a, in lives that ultimately will be going into eternity. That's the only thing we're going to be able to take. That's it. So that house, that car, I know how much you love it. It's not going. I'm just telling you. As a matter of fact, you know what the Bible says about it? It's going to go up and smoke. Smoked out. So the goal is, is that you will use it to leverage those relationships, that place, those things for God's glory. You see, I believe Peter's a great example in front of us. But let's just keep rolling because there's some things that, that we, we got to learn. So we know about Aeneas in verses 34 and 35. Catch what happens. Peter said to, to Aeneas, as Jesus Christ heals you, get up and make your bed. Guess what happened? Immediately he got up. And all, and all who lived, all who lived in light and sharing, they saw him. And guess what happened? They turned to the Lord. You, you see, what I love here, what Peter does, can you just imagine all the miracles that he had been a part of, all the miracles that he had had the opportunity to see the Lord Jesus perform. In his own life, he had been a part of performing miracles. What I love here is that when he comes here, he still takes the attention and he puts it where it must be, and that's in Jesus. Did you catch it? He says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, not me, not I, not, not the apostle, not the one who've done all these other things. He is still in his life drawing attention to Jesus. Can I just tell you, the Bible says that all good things come from God. So can I ask you a question? How many good things come from God? All of them. <laughs> all of them. So the attention, the attention must be set square on Jesus. Now, what I love about this here is the impact that the Lord can have in just one life. One life, one man, one individual healed. And did you see what the text tells us? I believe that's ultimately what the point is. It says that in that region, they, they turned to the Lord. We got two areas. Lida and Sharon, the folks in that thing, they just, they came to know Jesus Christ as they turned to him, which means a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. Can I just say it the way we say it down here in the South? He was saved and they were saved. <laughs> they got they were changed. You see, Peter didn't draw attention to himself. He drew attention to Jesus because ultimately that's where the power comes from. Can I ask you a quick question? Anybody in here ever met anybody named Aeneas before? Anybody got any nieces in your family? Anybody any cousins named Aeneas? Grow up with anybody on the block named Aeneas. Yeah, y'all think that's a good name. Write that down. Put that down when we have babies. We're going to get that because can I tell you what Aeneas means in the Greek? is a Greek name. It means worthy of praise. Worthy of praise. Now, can I just set the tone for us just for a minute, though? Y'all remember what was going on in Aeneas' life? What was going on in Aeneas' life? Aeneas had been paralyzed for how many years? Eight years. So what that means is they listen to me. Worthy of praise was bedridden for eight years. Now, I want you to notice what happens whenever Jesus Christ comes into his life. Did you notice what happens when worthy of praise, whenever Jesus comes into his life? What does the text tell us about his life? Whenever he says, Jesus Christ heals you, get up and make your bed. What does the text say? Immediately. Y'all see that? Whenever God's working, that's how he works. There's not this progressive. He changing you over the time. You're not going to find one miracle like that. Whenever God works, it's immediate. And so his life was changed. Worthy of praise had been bedridden, paralyzed. The Lord came into his life. And now immediately, did you see what Peter told him? He said, get up. And what did he say about that bed? Make your bed. Everybody catch that? Now, most time we miss this. Because whenever God changed your life, the first thing you do is you start working for him. That's what happens. But, but catch this, though. The thing that had held him and that was holding him and, and, and taking care of him and the place where he was laying, the thing was where he was confined was no longer going to confine him. We miss this. 
See, that's what God does when he works in your life. The reason why we need to draw attention to him is because the things that define you, the things that confine you, whenever you come into a relationship with him, no longer define nor confine you. And he works and he moves. You see, Peter actively pointing to Jesus ultimately turned into a harvest. Because can I tell you, there's nobody that can change a life like Jesus. Can I ask you a quick question before we look at a supplemental passage and move on? So who are you drawing attention to? Life. I asked myself that question, Jamal, who are you drawing attention to? Because the Bible says one who speaks better do it to bring glory to God, not to yourself, brother. You better watch it. Who, who, who does your life bring attention to? Because we see very clearly that Peter, in drawing attention to Christ, seeing him work in his life, worthy of praise, it says that they turn to the Lord. That's ultimately the goal. You see, I believe we have the Lord to thank. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 21, 22, and 23. Let's look at this together. Why draw attention to the Lord? Why, why draw attention to his name? Why do it? Y'all ready? I'm so glad y'all ask. Ephesians 1, 21 says this. For above all rule. Everybody catch that? Above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And what else? Every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he notices this is talking about the Lord now. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the who? Church. That's us. Which is his body. In, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the reason why it's important to draw attention to Jesus, A, the text just told us, practically speaking, because he's the greatest. There's nobody higher than him. And in him, the fullness, the body, he is desiring to work in the church, to work in our lives. He puts us in places, in spaces, in relationships, in countries, in jobs, in neighborhoods to represent him, to draw attention to him. So that way he can change and transform lives. And many can turn to him. So the question I ask before we look at our third movement is who are you drawing attention to? You see, Peter, he understood after having himself perform many miracles, after being a part of many miracles when Jesus was here, he understood that the attention must continue to be on Jesus. You know, my prayer for us as a church is the same way, you know, John the Baptist, good old John the Baptist, first Baptist, John the Baptist. I appreciate that, brother. He's talking about Jesus. He says, listen, uh, that he must increase. And, and John the Baptist said, I must decrease. That's what John said about himself. I, I must decrease. So Jesus must increase. And that's my prayer in our lives. Whenever we think about God's work, that in us, we decrease. Jesus increases. The third thing I want us to see is found in verse 36 through 40. What's going to happen? Because, you know, Peter could have stayed in Lydda and he could have had a book signing deal there, too. How I took care of Aeneas. But he didn't. I want you to see what happens. Verse 36 through 40 say this. Now in Joppa, everybody see that? Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. We got a sister here. Oh, my goodness. It's an early Mother's Day message right here. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha which translated in, in, in Greek is called Dorcas. Y'all like, that's why she go by Tabitha. I know that's why she go. <laughs> this woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid her in an upper room. So slide was near Joppa. Disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and he went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, 
arise. She opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. The third thing I want to see, not, not just wholeheartedly active, not just drawing attention to Jesus, but the third thing is, listen, we got to be available to help in time of need. Can I just tell you, when I look at Peter, the opportunity that he had to be able to just stay in that region in Lida and Sharon and just stay there and be like, listen, I'm too busy. I'm too busy to come over. There's just one individual. I got all these individuals. But that is not what happened. He was available. Now, let's just talk a little bit about Tabitha. Uh, the name Tabitha, y'all probably want to know, Tabitha means gazelle. Uh, that's what the name Tabitha means. Anybody know any Tabithas? I bet y'all, I bet I can get a hand on that. Hallelujah, I see them hands. Yeah. Tabitha means gazelle. And this sister, did you hear what the Bible says about her? Can I tell you what a legacy? And before we just drop down in this passage, can I just say to you that when we read this reputation and this legacy that she has, can I just ask a quick question? What's your reputation? What's your legacy? You see, we, we've got an opportunity here. Maybe your reputation and your legacy hadn't looked so good. But can I tell you, it doesn't have to stay that way. Because we, we see right here, I just want you to notice now, this sister here, she was a, she was a bad sister in a good way. And uh, God was using her life greatly. The, the Bible says about her, number one, y'all ready for this, sisters? Y'all came for this measure. Sisters, I want y'all to listen up. Because sometimes sisters don't believe that God loves them like God's got a plan. It's all about the brothers. People don't. Hold on one second. Okay. Right here in Joppa, there was a sister named Tabitha. Mama named the door because she go by Tabitha. Okay. It says this, this woman was a disciple. Did everybody catch that in verse 36? That word for disciple, I encourage you to look it up. It's in the feminine form which is the only place it's like that in all the New Testament. All right? So this is the first time we have a, a, a lady being called a disciple, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Not an apostle, disciple. It's a very important construction to show ju just the connection of her life and how God used her life. How he used her life. It says she was a, a woman. Notice this. She was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity. Which she continually did. Everybody see that right there? I, that's a great, a, a great testimony to the way in which she lived her life. What a great reputation. And the Bible says that she got sick. She got sick and she died. Now, you know, sometimes this happens in the church. You know, where you have faithful people who pass away. And that's difficult. But God is faithful. You know, when you think about the life of the church, you know, the impact many times that we think about, we think about the preacher. We think about those who talk all the time, those who are in leadership, those who have the notoriety and the name. But let me just tell you, this sister was doing great ministry and God used her life greatly. So you don't have to be on the front end. You don't have to be seen. You don't have to be visible. You don't have to speak to, to make an impact for the kingdom, for the king. You don't have to. And the reason why I say it is because when you look at this, the construction says she passed away. Now, I love what the church does here. The Bible says that after she passed away, notice they washed the body and they laid her in the upper room. So let me just talk a little bit about burial preparation. So in the Jewish culture, in this day, the, the family, the, the, the individuals were responsible for taking care of their loved ones. You, you didn't call in a funeral home to come do this. You, you did this. You watched your family member. And normally the burial happened that day because it was an external embalming. You, you wrapped and you put incense and you put smell good all on the outside. It was not an internal thing. And so you couldn't take time. You couldn't take all that time. And so normally they would happen immediately. But can I tell you, these brothers and sisters had something different on their mind. How you know that preacher? Because they says after they washed her, they didn't wrap her up. They put her where? In the upper room. Y'all catch that? Why in the world do y'all think they did that? Can I just submit to you because they heard about a brother who was handling business over there in Lida. And they said, let's go get him and bring him on over here. In the text, what we have before us is the first account of an apostle raising someone from the dead. The very first one, right here. And so when we look at this, we, we recognize that their faith, they, by faith, they put her up in the upper room and they sent two to come. To come. They implored and they said, don't delay, come to us. 
Verse 39 is where we want to make our money here. You ready for it? What does it say Peter did in verse 39? So Peter did what? He arose and he went with them. Can I just tell you? Not just in sports, you'll hear people say that the, the best ability in sports is availability. But can I tell you, I believe in the body of Christ, one of the best abilities we're going to have is availability. But maybe you fall prey and victim like I do, and you get real busy in this life. You got so many things going on that whenever ministry opportunities come up, you're too busy already. You have not, we have not mortgaged out space and we're not mortgaged out time and we're not mortgaged out resources to be able to help whenever things happen suddenly like this. Anybody ever feel that pressure? That in our own lives, we've got so many other things going on and I'm not saying they're not important, but I'm just saying to you, I think Peter's a great example. You got this great revival breaking out and he has the nerve to get up and leave all of that to be able to come help this one lady. Might that be the tenor of our lives, that we're not too busy. No matter how big our church gets, no matter how, how, how no, much notoriety we have, that we are not too busy to be able to help one individual. You know, I love how God works on all sides. It, it's no coincidence that she, she gets sick and Peter is in the vicinity here. He works on all sides. As you think about this idea of being available, I want you to notice how Peter responds. Verse 39 tells us that he went. It says, when he arrived, they brought him into the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics, the garments, the undergarments. Uh, most of the time, very uh, expensive because it'd be one, one, one expensive garment that she would make. You know, for us, I believe the Bible is telling us where we need to focus our time and our attention. And that's on those who are the most vulnerable among us. You know, when I think about this room and the sadness that would have been there to know this loved one, you've lost a loved one. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to be, show up on the scene, especially when it's sudden. It's very difficult. And the Bible says that the widows, they were all around him and they were in there crying. And can I just tell you, Peter, I don't know how my brother did it. I mean, that, that's a tough scene to, to show up on. But I mean, the Bible's telling us what we need to be thinking about. Because in this day, why, why is this important? Why is it so important what she would do? We, we think many times about the garments that she would make and she would have for people, but also this would have been a source of income. She would have been able to sell these to be able to help the widows, to be able to be a part of seeing change and transformation. Understand that in this time, there was no government assistance. There, there was no help financially. There was no jobs. And so the, this lady was using her gifts and abilities to be able to be a great help and blessing to the vulnerable, to these, particularly these widows. All right. And so I just want to ask a question. I'm asking y'all because I've been asking my question, these, these same questions to me all week. You know, how committed to serving the most vulnerable are you? Are we as a body? Can I just give us a scriptural precedent in James chapter 1, verse 27? James 1, 27 says this. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. To visit orphans and who else? Widows in their distress. And to keep oneself unstained by the world. So as we, as we think about being available, I'm just saying to us, I believe the, the scope of, of who we are seeking to help are those who are in need. Those who are, I believe, is a key place. Widows and orphans. We got to be willing to, to connect right there. To be willing to help. Notice this, it says, in their distress. It's not the government's job to take care of the widows and orphans. Do I need to say it again? There ain't no amount of stimulus money, Biden books, Trump books, time, government programs, whatever you want to call it, that should outpace the church. <laughs> I don't know if y'all with me. I'm trying to hang in here. I'm just telling you that the world around us, listen, this is not some like, 
social club, like we just feel pity and sorry for you. No, no, no. Listen, this is the, the church of the King of Kings. And in his marching orders, he has told us who we need to care about and how we should do it and when we should do it. And so can I just tell you, I think for us, we, we got to have a shift in perspective as we think about the vulnerable among us in our fellowship. That when we look at those who are widows and the Bible gives us the, the, the clarifications for that. Widows who are widows indeed don't have kids, don't have children to take care of them. Very clear gives us the parameters in Timothy, his letter to Timothy. But this is a great opportunity to, for us to show not, not just that the church cares about the vulnerable, but guess who cares about the vulnerable? God does. <laughs> that, that's our opportunity. One of the main ways we do that is, number one, we are available. We show up. We walk into the room whenever things are going badly, difficult, whenever there's sorrow and hostility and hardship. We walk in the room when everybody else is walking out. We show up on the scene when everybody else is leaving and making commentary from outside. That's when we enter into the conversation and we bring Jesus Christ to bear in the struggle and the hardship and the heartache of this world around us. But can I tell you, Peter was, Peter was showing us the way, not just that he went into the room, but I want you to notice what he does in verse 40. One of the greatest ways you're going to be available is to be serious by connecting with God in prayer. And I want you to, I want you to see it now. It says, but Peter, what did he do to all the ladies who were in there showing him? It says he did what to them? He sent them out. Now, let me tell you, he learned that from Jesus, by the way. Because there was a little girl, all right, a little girl, Jairus' daughter, that was sick and she died. And everybody was wailing and going on. And Jesus said, y'all, just step out for a minute. Let me handle some business. Sometimes you got to do that. Just, it, okay, thank you. It's a great example. He, and it says very clearly that after he sent everybody out, he did what? He knelt down and did what? He prayed. This is the same Peter Understand how self-sufficient could he have been? Listen, you just seen what I did to Aeneas. I ain't need to talk to God about this. You know how many miracles I have been a part of? But we see it right here. What does it say he did? He knelt and he prayed. And he understood. He understood that we got to be serious about our praying. That Jesus, same model. Same model. The, the difference here, Jesus, he grabbed a little girl's hand because Jesus didn't care nothing about being unclean. He didn't care nothing about touching dead body because he knew he was going to bring back to life. He didn't care nothing about that. But right here we see he kneels down and he, and he prays. Can I just tell you, if we're going to be connecting, we got to take prayer seriously. Can I just give you the reason why? It's, it's in Ephesians 3, uh, verses 20 and 21, and then we'll, we'll look at this and I'm going to close up. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Y'all ready for this? Says this. Now to him, we're talking about the Lord if you didn't know who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we. Notice the, the, the pronoun. What is the pronoun? We. Everybody see it? I know y'all like, oh, we ain't come here for no grammar lesson. Okay. This is a plural, okay? This, this whole section, 20 and 21, is to the church collectively. The church. This is, not, this is not I. I do believe that you can say, God, I believe you can do more than what I'm asking. But notice it says we. We ask. Or think according to the power that works within who? Us. What is that? Plural. Everybody see that? Okay. To him be the glory in the church. Here we are. And in Christ Jesus. How long? To all generations forever and ever. Amen. Here's the deal. The reason why I believe we got to be lockstep serious about prayer is because God loves to answer prayer. He loves when you ask him for one thing. He loves to say, oh, that's all you asking for? We got plenty over here. Think Chick-fil-A. You want the whipped cream and cherry too? You understand? He got plenty going on here. And we're not thinking this way. We, don't, we ain't connecting like this in prayer. And we see that he knelt down. Can I tell you, I believe we can learn some things from, from Peter here when we're going to get serious with God in prayer. Number one, clear the room. Clear the room. When you're ready to get serious with God in prayer, clear the room. And what I mean by that is, is distractions. Clear the room. Clear the room. This thing right here, don't bring it in there with you. Do not do it. 
TV, remote, whatever, clear the room. There are going to be many things. For him, it was widows that were grieving. He said, we got to get y'all up out of here so we can get, I can get connected. We, you got to clear the room. Can I tell you, not only just the physical space, but right here, you know, we can get real distracted in our praying. Our minds will be running about the grocery list over here, and our minds will be running over here about the kids said that, and our minds will be running over here about, we, we got to clear the room. We got to lock in and connect, and we got to stay until we do. You, you notice the posture he took. So not only did he clear the room, but the posture he took, the Bible says that he knelt. He got in a position of submission where he was recognizing, listen, God, if you, if you don't get this done, it is not going to happen. And we have to be willing to get in a posture, a position of submission where we recognize who we are dealing with. And then after we do that, I want you to notice very clearly. After he prays. He looked over at what he was praying for. To watch God do the work. By faith, we got to be willing to look to it. We got to be willing to watch him to see what he is going to do. So we got to trust and believe. And the Bible says, did you catch what it says? Look at what happened to our sister. Can't wait to talk to her in heaven. Says she sat up. Everybody see that right there? She sat up. She sat up. You know, can I just say this? Sometimes we come to the Bible and we see these miracles and we think, you know what, all the miracles, we don't believe. I I believe in miracles. And we're going to look at another one here in a minute. I believe that God, that same God's working yesterday, today, and forever, all powerful, almighty, still moving and working, okay? But can I tell you, maybe maybe for you, it's it's not God is going to have you come into a a, a place where a woman has just passed away and, and and he wants to use you to raise her up physically. Maybe that's not it. But can I tell you, each and every day, I believe God wants you to raise the dead spiritually. Many times we're not thinking that maybe God has got me in this person's life and uh, they are spiritually dead. The Bible says that we are we are separate before we are saved. We are separated from God. We are dead in, in our transgressions, dead in our sins, dead to God spiritually. We are separated from him. So what I'm telling you is, is every day you are encountering and walking alongside and talking to people that I believe God wants to raise up spiritually from the dead. I believe that every day. He wants you to be just like this, to pray for them, to share with them. You, you know how we know that spirit today? Because that life is stinky. We know that. You know your life. I know my life before I was saved. Guess what it was? Stinky. Are we going to act like this in the church this morning? <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> that don't mean we didn't have things going for us, but we know our lives spiritually, what we were talking about, watching, doing, saying, drinking, fussing, cussing, all of that. We know it, the folks that you work with, the, can I just say, come on, come on. The reason why they talk about what they talk about is because they are not spiritually connected to God. The reason why they do what they do is because they're not spiritually connected to God. And I believe that he allows you to be in their life. You saved, you alive to be able to relate to them, to say, come on over here. Be born again. Be saved. Come on, come to life. Can I ask you a question? Are you willing to connect with the spiritually dead in your life and see God raise them up and change them. The last thing I want us to see is that we have to be aware of any partiality that's in our life. We have to be aware of any partiality that's in our life. You're thinking, where in the world does that come from? Okay. Verse 41. Verse 41 says this, and he gave her his hand And raised her up and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa and many believed in him. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. Simon and Simon. See, I believe that these miracles are signs to point to a deeper reality of the gospel. In both cases, God used the sign to draw the attention, to, to get people focused, to, for them to see this is real. And so is the very need that you have of God, that, that he gives us, he gives signs, he gives visions, he gives things that we can see to help us wrestle with and grapple with and understand the things that we cannot see. That deeper reality. You see, I believe that he followed Jesus' example here the same way when Jesus rose up the, the little girl. He gave her his hand, he raised her up. 
And he was not he was not afraid. She had just been passed away. He just she had just died. He understood what that means in terms of his cleanliness, in terms of his in, in the Jewish culture. Being clean was everything he understood by raising his hand up when he touched that body. He understood. And we see that he was willing to do it. And I love the Bible says that many days went by. He went and he he helped the church understand what they had believed, because if your faith is based on miracles, then you're not you're going to be on shaky ground. But substantive, he, he, he settled, settled them. You know, but what's easy to miss is not only did the Lord change Aeneas' life, and not only did the Lord cha- change Tabitha's life, but guess who else's life he changed? Peter's life. Now, I know you're probably wondering how in the world did he do that, and I'm so glad you asked, because if you remember, Peter has been on this journey with the, with the Lord. And he is having to break down these preconceived ideas from his own culture. You remember when he had to go and deal with the Samaritans and the Jews and Samaritans didn't fool with each other. And he had to begin to deal with them. And the text says he goes, he lays hands, a great thing that happens. But there's another group of people that most of the time the Jewish folks didn't deal with. And those were the Gentiles. They didn't fool with Gentiles. So when you look at this, God is preparing him to get ready to meet this man named Cornelius. And you say, preacher, how do you know that? Well, because the Bible says that he went to stay for many days with a man that was a tanner. We got anybody that's, a, that's tanners by occupation? Oh, yeah, I figured I didn't think we was going to hands up in here. Tanners deal with dead animals, their skins. So that job, the job is perpetually unclean. So he is now staying in the house of one who is perpetually unclean. In his own eyes, and we see that God is working and he's moving and he's staying with this man named Simon, who is a tanner. So God is now preparing him to be ready to to deal with the Gentiles. God is getting him ready to be able to go in and to have a conversation with somebody who he normally would not mess with, normally would not talk to. You see, I believe that that's an important thing for us to see. uh, Because uh, Joppa, Joppa, does that ring a bell to anybody? Anybody got a little devotional time in Jonah lately? Well, when you get Jonah chapter one, verses one, two and three, what you're going to remember is God told Jonah to go talk to these Gentiles in this place called Nineveh. And you know what Jonah said? Nope, I'm not doing that. And what he decided to do instead of going to Nineveh, you know where he decided he was going to go to? Joppa, which is the exact opposite direction. Now, can I just tell you how good God is? The Lord told Jonah, go talk to these Gentiles. He said, nope, I'm running to Joppa. But God in Peter now, he is in Joppa. He said, listen, I'm getting you ready to go talk to the Gentiles. Isn't that fascinating that the one place one was going to run to to get away, one was already there and God is calling him to go tell them. Now, I know know that might not excite you, but let me just tell you why that excites me. Because God is showing that there is no partiality with him. Now, understand. We have to be careful. I almost put prejudice right here, but I knew if I put the word prejudice, what we were going to think is racially. Okay. Most time when you hear prejudice, you think race. And can I tell you, it is much bigger than race. I know our world around us is thinking race, 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 race all the time. Black, white, black, white, black, white, black, white, Hispanic, black, white, black, all the time. That's all we thinking all the time. But it's much bigger than that. So that's why I use the word partiality. Because the idea of partiality means that you can begin to relate to people differently, not just because of their skin color, but you can relate to people differently because of the amount of money you think they have, because of the side of town they live on, because of the family dynamics they come from, because of the type of work that they do, because there are many other factors. And we have to be honest up in here to see that there must not be any partiality in our lives. We need to ask God, if you find it, God, strip it up out of me. And we're going to see Peter. He's going to struggle with this thing. Come, ne- come next week. I promise you we're going to see him struggle with this thing. But let me just say it to you like this. Is there any biblical framework for what I'm saying to you? You better believe it. This world around us, I put it down right here, right now, is trying to divide us. It's trying to divide us along income lines, party lines, Republican, Democrat, independent, libertarian, whatever else you want to put in there. It's trying to divide us along gender lines, male, female, and whatever else they want to say that there is out there. But can I just tell you, the Lord has already spoken. Y'all ready for this? I'm closing if you wanted to know. James 2, 1. James chapter 2, verse 1. Because I love my boy Peter here. He went in there. He said, we're not having this. You ready for it? James chapter 2, verse 1 says this. My brethren, 
do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of what? Personal favoritism. What he's not saying is, is he's not saying that there are not going to be relationships that you have with people that you are closer with than other people. What he's saying, though, is that don't don't look down, don't hold those relationships and look at other individuals in a negative light down on them because they're not that way. The text goes on to say, listen, if somebody come in and they strutting in, they got rings on their fingers, they look like they balling out of control. Don't you put them in a place of prominence. And then you look at somebody that's walking in looking raggedy, you think and you put them in a way you're going to sit way back there. He's saying, do, 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 do not play that way. He says, do not have it. So there's a way in which we have to recognize that in this culture, it's not just about precious skin related. We can also have problems with people based off the income. L- listen to me. We just, we, we got to understand this church. We have to understand this. Our world is trying to tell us what we need to be about, what, what's supposed to be important to us. They ain't, they ain't Bible. They ain't right here. God has already told us. We don't need them to tell us. What, what about status? What about status? Absolutely. Galatians 3, 26, 28. Let's just look at it together. Might I just add, add, to, add this thing on? I might as well say it. I didn't already hit it. The church is the only place where this is really going to happen. Y'all ready for it? For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Everybody see that? How, how do I become a child of God? Through faith in Jesus Christ. That wasn't a trick question. It's right there. So who can be, who can be, who can be? Notice this. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, notice this, have clothed yourselves with Christ. This is important now. There is neither, here we go, Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all, say it with me. One in Christ Jesus. We are one how? In Christ, meaning the distinctions are there. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a man, you a female. Everybody, we can know that we see this. But in terms of the hierarchy, I'm not better than you and you're not better than me because of what we are. In Christ, that's how this works. Only in Christ. Did y'all see it? I don't know what to tell you. Only in Christ is where this is going to work. Church, please hear me now. When was the last time we told the world this, though? We, we, we marching right alongside with them. We saying the same things they saying, using the same slogans they use, wearing the same shirts they wear. Only in Christ is where this is going to happen. And, and, and Peter, can I tell you, my boy, he's going to struggle with it. I swear to you, we're going to see it here in a minute. He's going to struggle. So understand, sometimes, you know, when you learn a lesson, it's hard to get out of that thing. And they creep his little ugly head up. You, you thought about a certain type of people for all a certain way for all your life. Jesus come in and save and change you. And now you got to rework that hardware changing. Sometimes it's hard. And I know somebody going to say, boy, he, had, he talking to the white folks. Look, I'm talking to all folks. You hear what I'm trying to tell you? I'm talking to all folks. Said it last week. Said it again. Equal opportunity offender. Said it two weeks ago on Easter. So can I just say to you, can I just say to you, we got to check ourselves up for, for, for any type of partiality. Because can I tell you, God's church, listen, this, this is the spot. This is the place. This is the key. This is the key. Wholeheartedly, actively serving him, faithfully drawing attention to Jesus, available to help in need and being aware of any partiality. Can I close with a passage? Y'all don't seem too disagreeable. In Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, after talking about the greatest problem that humanity faces, and that's because they don't know God, this is what Apostle Paul says to us. He says this, therefore, having no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. He had already given a list of sins and being separated and idolatry and all those things. But do you suppose this, O oh man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do, and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? 
Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing, y'all ready for it, that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Who will render to each person according to his deeds? To those who are perseverance in doing good, seek for the glory and honor to eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. Of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. And Lord, all around us, this message this message that we carry the good news. It's the power of God and the salvation to all who believe, to everyone who believes. And Lord, I'm just thankful for the opportunity that you give us, God, to know you, to know your word. And Lord, I, I pray that as we think about the purpose you have for our lives, that Lord, we, we would look to you by faith and we would trust you. That, Lord Jesus, you would give us the strength and the wisdom to be able to discern between good and great, your best, your, your purpose, your will. And, Lord, that you would help us uh, in the days in which we live to live countercultural. That, God, when you saved us and you brought us into your family, Lord, you brought us into a family and a culture already established. The highest culture. So, God, I'm praying that you would allow us to live our lives in a, in a manner that honors you. That, Lord Jesus, we would um, be faithful to you. We, we wouldn't shy away from sharing your word. And, Lord, we would see these keys to effective ministry, Lord, and adopt them into our lives. And, Lord, we would, we would be available to help. And Lord, we would draw attention to you. And Lord, if there's any partiality, anything in our, in our lives, that Lord, you would, you would rid us of it. Anything that keeps us thinking that we are better than somebody else because of what they look like or where they live or what they've done, what they haven't done, the educational level. And Lord, there, there are many things. But Lord, I'm just praying that, God, you, you will work in us and through us in a powerful way. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here they have never given their life to you, uh, Lord Jesus, that they have heard that uh, you are the highest. There's no name above yours. They have, they have heard about the fact that you save and you change lives and you can immediately work in their life. So, Lord, I pray they will call out to you and say, Lord Jesus, save me. Lord, as we go into this time of reflection and response and prayer, Lord, I pray you would uh, do great things. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please? I hope God spoke to you during the message today. We want to know about it. You can fill out a connection card at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We want to help you through any spiritual questions you may have while you're on this journey. You see, we believe that the first step is for a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the greatest need that humanity has is to be saved. And that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. If you will agree with God that you need him for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will turn to him in repentance and believe in him, uh, you will be saved. 
The Bible says that you do this by one, believing that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead and that you believe that his payment is sufficient for you, that you will call out to him as Lord and Savior, he will save you. If you're listening to this service and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and be our guest during a time of worship. We have multiple services. We would love to meet you personally and have you here for worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service times. If you've missed any sermons, they're all archived there online, so you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media at Word Baptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and continue the spread of the gospel, you can give online at wordbaptist.com give. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today, and I hope you've learned something that you can apply to your life, and we hope to see you again next time right here at Word Baptist Church.